Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. And uh, I, I must say, like, I walked up to the front rows, the singing start, and I thought there was 12 people here, and you all showed up. There's just so many people. It's awesome. Um, thank you to the worship team. I, uh, I'm a musician, and I know that sometimes um, to serve week in, week out, um, and to pour your heart out consistently, no matter what you're going through in life, uh, is sometimes a great toil. So why don't we just give another round of applause to the amazing musicians. Um, do I go up there? Oh, okay. And uh, <clears throat> I got to tell you, I just celebrate the feeling of unworthiness uh, that I have to be here. Um, and that sounds like a contradiction to celebrate unworthiness. Um, but God has taught me um, through my whole life, and my, my life has been an orientation, a disorientation, and a reorientation in sequence over and over and over. And yours is too, uh, if you'd only realize it. Uh, you are who you are by formation. God um, does stuff in your life. It's not always comfortable. You feel like there's a disorientation that's happening in your life. Um, but whatever you go through in life, whatever hardship, whatever struggle, whatever triumph, whatever pain, uh, whatever it is that you walk through, there's a disorientation so that God can bring a new orientation. That's the essence of Christian faith, that we uh, have been born into a resurrection, that we've been born uh, into a, a journey that never grows stagnant and only feels stagnant when we decide it's going to be and we don't let the next iteration of what God wants to do in our lives happen. I'm, I'm getting preachy already, so please forgive me. Uh, but... Um, I just feel like this is grace for me to be able to stand up here. I don't look great on paper, but I serve a Redeemer who speaks more into my future than my past, and so do you. Uh, the wonder of Christianity is we bring our filthy rags, we bring our brokenness, we bring our mixed stories, we bring uh, what happened in the past to God, and we say, God, uh, I am weak, but you are strong. Uh, I am broken, but you are the great fixer. Uh, and you're not only a redeemer who puts together the pieces, you take the broken pieces and you multiply us into a version of ourselves that we could never imagine. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something really strange today. Uh, by the way, hi. <laughs> Classic preacher, right? Just like truth, truth, truth. <laughs> um, oh, silence is good, hey. Such a busy world. I want to take you back to Easter Sunday this morning. And um, I'm sorry, I was kind of deciding where to go there. Uh, and I want to um, propose to you that two weeks ago, you're probably in this room, right? Celebrating the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Who was here? All right, who wasn't here? Ah, oh, yeah, you guys are brave. Okay, uh, so... We were here worshipping, um, or I wasn't, but you were, and uh, you were celebrating the victory of Jesus and you were probably declaring and proclaiming what God knows is true of Himself, that uh, He died, He rose again, uh, that death couldn't hold Him down. We celebrate the fact that our Saviour uh, is not just one who talks the talk, but He rises the rise, right? Uh, he comes back to life uh, in resurrection power and we know uh, that everything about that part of the story gave uh, birth to another part of the story of Jesus. Jesus' ascension power, His rule, His reign, the giving of the Holy Spirit, all the stuff that we walk in daily, we celebrate and we would all affirm that Resurrection Sunday is a huge part um, of that deal. I would affirm that, but I would add to that, that Easter Sunday is like an annual reminder for us 
uh, that crucifixion is constantly necessary uh, to give way to resurrection power. Easter is not only a proclamation of what Jesus did, it's an invitation to us in this beautiful city called Nanaimo where our lives are comfortable and we are so privileged compared to the rest of the world, right? Uh, It's a reminder for us that there is a death uh, that needs to happen inside of us, maybe a small death. Uh, I find one every day. Somebody cuts me off on the freeway and there is a small death that needs to take place inside of the inside of me to give birth uh, to a new resurrected JD who says, grace to you, oh horrible driver, right? Uh, Or your kids screaming and not sleeping. Uh, There is an invitation uh, to a crucifixion in that moment to let all of your angst and your anger and your anxiousness and your pain uh, to be given and surrendered to God so you can turn in a kind word to your child who's not sleeping and say grace to you, what an honour it is to be your parent. Or as I do, I pretend to sleep and Kath gets up and (laughs) takes care of stuff. Um, But there is an invitation to constantly die to ourselves. And we are so intimidated by death. In fact, it's counterintuitive for us to embrace the idea of death. Uh, We tend to take products and tablets and we tend to exercise and we tend to do things uh, at any attempt to prolong the inevitable. Uh, The fact that one day we will transition from life as we know it to a resurrected life beyond our comprehension. Now, the problem for me is that the church is consumed, and I don't say your church because your church is special, but every other church in the world uh, is consumed the idea uh, of just getting to that place. We're really good at prophesying end times. We're really good at like depicting heaven. We're really good at telling everyone there'll be no more tears. And we've got like this over-actualized idea of eternal life on the other side of life as we know it. But I feel like eternal life begins the second that Christ becomes the ruler of our hearts. Jesus didn't say, I came to give you existence that was average. Jesus didn't say, your joy shall depend on the Vancouver Canucks, and that is all, (laughs) right? He said, I have come so that you may know life beyond breath. And I wanna propose to you, as I found in my own life, and possibly you will find in yours, whether you like it or not, that there is always life on the end of a crucifixion uh, that God is constantly calling us to, to say, I lay down what was, the, the past me is on a future collision course with the future me and I want to submit whatever it is and I want to live as a new creation. The old is gone. I don't want to cling onto that which was. And so today, um, I want to read a scripture to you and I want to talk vulnerably about it as I confess that most of the Easter Sundays of my life growing up were always about an historical figure called Jesus who went to a cross, who died, who rose again, and I affirmed it every single year. But it wasn't until the last few years that I realised everything about Easter is both the proclamation of Christ's power in Himself and the powerful invitation He makes to me to see Easter a new way, to see life a new way. And I want to read this, if I can, out of John, um, a text that you might know well and a verse uh, that I had in the front of my Bible. Um, and um, I, um, I want to read it right now. If we can just chuck it on the screen, please, bro. Uh, it says this in John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
I'm like, oh, gee, that was Jesus just talking about himself. Well, what's the very next thing he says? Anyone who loves their life or clings to life as it is, Eugene Peterson says in the message. Anyone who wants to hold on to life as it is. Like, let's be honest, all of us do that, right? We want to hold on to the wealth that we've been entrusted with. We want to hold on to the home that we love. We want to hold on to the age of our kid when they strike that sweet spot and we're like, don't become a teenager in Jesus' name, right? We want to hold on to life as it is, right? But anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves um, me must follow me and wherever I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. It's almost like Jesus proclaims this thing about a seed that's happening to Him. We know that He's approaching the cross. We know that um, as Jesus, as they knew Jesus was about to change. We also know that disciples who had heard about what was really gonna happen afterwards constantly try to stop Him, right? Why? Because there's something inside of us that wants to preserve life as it is. It's like we want all the benefits of transformative power, but we don't wanna let go of anything uh, in, in, in its way. We wanna kind of hold up the stuff that falsely makes us feel like we're secure, but the very security blanket that we're holding up against God, saying, God, you can have all of it on a Sunday for an hour and a half. Well, 10%. Uh, I mean, if we're honest, maybe six. No, no, anything that gets in the way, anything that is true of us holding onto life as we know it could be the very idol that's getting in the way of true transformative power happening inside of your life. And it's scary and it's counterintuitive sometimes to go beyond being the single seed that we are. But at the end of the day, Jesus says it will produce many seeds. So I wanna ask you a question that I pray you wouldn't shout out loud to, to this morning. And you might go, JD, who are you to even speak into my life? I don't think I'm anybody, but it doesn't mean that the truth isn't true, okay? Uh, I'm walking through this question. I'm staring in the mirror every single morning going, JD, are you the multiplied version of yourself or are you hanging on to your life because it's comfortable? Are you worshipping your lists? Are you worshipping your bank account, JD? Are you worshipping your comfort? Are you worshipping your fears? Are you worshipping your insecurities? Are you stuck? And Easter reminds us that we don't need to stay uh, as the former version of ourselves. We don't need to be the single seed version of ourselves. Because let's look at the analogy. Jesus is so smart. Let's just run with it for a second. Inside of the seed, there's a tree hiding. Inside of the seed that is your existence today, yes, you've taken risks. Yes, you've given to the gospel. Yes, you've laid your life down at moments. Heck, you've probably danced in the aisles once or twice in worship too. But inside the seed of your current existence is the potential for a tree to bear fruit a tree uh, to bring shade and comfort to people. Are you staring at me? And I'm not sure if you're with me or you're about to stone me, but I think we're, are we friends? We good? All right. Every once in a while, just for my own insecurity, I'll be honest about it. I went over, uh, over spiritualize it. For my own insecurity, just say amen every once in a while. Hey, awesome. Brilliant, thank you. So I'll tell you what I used to do with this verse. Every time I would read this verse in the Bible, I'd think of a man named Jim Elliot. You want to know why? Because the first time I read this scripture was in his wife's portrait uh, of his life in a book that she wrote. 
He was a missionary uh, that went to a place uh, where he wasn't celebrated. He lost his life uh, spreading the gospel uh, to people who had never heard the gospel. Um, they took his life for doing it. And uh, his wife ended up becoming the missionary that went later to the same people that murdered her husband, ended up winning them to Christ. And uh, I, it's an inspiring story. Even when I talk about it, like the hair on my arm stands up and I'm like, man, I think I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm like preaching in Nanaimo. Like how good is my life, right? Uh, you read stories like that and you go, man, it's a amazing. But again, I'm guilty just like Easter of making the story that inspires me about everyone else. See, Easter for me has always been about Jesus and John 12 has always been about Jim Elliot. There's one person missing, John Daniel. Why? Because I've externalised transformation. We live in a world where I worship the idea of transformation and I applaud the few that stand up in the, the shades of vanilla and beige that we live in that, that are a little more counterintuitive and stand up and do something with their life. We applaud them. But we're dead scared of stepping out of the routine that keeps us stuck. We're dead scared of, of putting ourselves in the text and saying, man, was Jesus just talking about Him? It's easy to go, hey, he was probably talking about those disciples, those guys, Peter, man, what an idiot, you know? No, or was he talking about me as the reader today, saying the Scripture still echoes and breathes into your life today, saying, JD, are you going to remain a single seed? My fear of rejection, I'm just going like to lay it all out on the table because it's easier for me, is the very thing that makes me nervous when I come and stand up in front of people like you. See, I've been a part of the church since the day I was born. My dad started a movement that you guys relate to. My brother leads that movement. Um, it's an amazing thing. Um, I grew up on this front row rolling around. If I was here, I'd be on this brown plastic, just rolling around as a baby uh, before the, the message and um, gave my whole life to the church. Only ever wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a pilot for a while, uh, but then I decided that wasn't cool. Then I wanted to be an astronaut, but my marks weren't good enough. So I decided I'm actually going to be a preacher because like, that's as cool as being an astronaut, right? Um, do I need to slow down? Are we good? Okay, and um, I, I gave my life for this thing um, and I made some terrible errors along the way, some very public and horrendous errors, which I don't hide from because at the end of the day, uh, we can stand up and pretend that things aren't real, but they are real. And my story isn't a story of karma. It's not me getting what I deserve. My story uh, is a story of God's grace and His, and His willingness to never give up on people. We preach a gospel that is good, but when people do things we don't like, we tend to kick them out of that gospel and we make it really manufactured around cultural preferences and norms, right? And so I'm just being really honest about the fact that I struggle to stand up in front of churches uh, because I love grace, I love God's people, but God's people of grace often, apart from anyone else but themselves, want to grab back onto the system of earning and they like to throw stones into situations from afar that they don't understand, right? So I sometimes stand up on stages and I go, God, I, I would just rather be at home, <laughs> I'd just rather be talking to the people that have accepted me, that know everything about me, that aren't looking for stuff on me. Um, but if I do that, I will always remain a single seed that is more dependent and, um, and authored by my choices and my life circumstances than the God who transcends over all good, all evil, life as we know it, and says, I don't give up on people. And I, my gospel is really that good. So... Only when I put myself in John 12 do I feel like I could stand up in front of you and have anything to say. And if I get crushed, oh well. And if I fly, awesome. I always wanted to be a pilot anyway. (laughs) 
I feel like today um, in your life, because this needs to be more about you than me, this is your church, I'm just the visitor. Um, God is calling us to die to the small things that get in the way of us becoming who we already are in His eyes. Maybe a better word for that is maturing. And um, you know, when Jesus says, be perfect, I used to be such a legalist. I used to read that in the Gospels and start to confess every slight shadow in my life and go, man, if I could just live up to that verse, not understanding that that word truly means maturity. Become mature. That's the call of Christianity. Become the multiplied version of yourself that doesn't hide, uh, the, the self that puts yourself out there and understands that God is calling us to more than we already are walking in. One of the things that happens Uh, when we truly allow ourselves to be taken by God on an adventure beyond our own preference and prejudice is that God starts to help us to hold things in tension where we didn't used to be able to. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, um, one of the things that really uh, messed with my mind, but it's helped me to understand things about God in a different way was just being my, my dad's son. Okay, and I say this with gratitude, not with pride. It was awesome to be raised by my parents. is just an awesome, an awesome privilege. But I remember as a kid just watching thousands and thousands of people constantly clamoring to talk to my dad, and he would stand up on big stages like this, and there'd be huge crowds around. And I was a kid at first; I didn't care because I was little. And then I got to an age where I thought, "Oh man, that's really cool." But I'm a pastor's kid, so I had a mandatory stage where I was like rebelled against the system or whatever. Uh, but you know. Uh, what I remember um, vividly growing up was that there was this guy called my dad who would stand on a stage and thousands of people would just be in awe, kind of hanging on the next thing that he would say. And then we'd be whisked off out a door and I'd get in a car with him and we'd just go have dinner. All right? And what it helped me to understand was um, my dad had an incredible gift. Uh, people uh, really saw him a certain way. But at the end of the day, he was still the guy who bought my dinner. And I feel like God wants to say that to you today. Everything that I've set up to this point is kind of a lead up to this point. I feel like God is calling this church uh, to be people who can live well in the balance of awe towards God and intimacy, something we struggle with in the West. Uh, again, I feel like God wants us to be able to hold the tension of, man, my Father in heaven is the one that thousands want to clamour to. He's amazing. He's awesome. The God that I serve is worth listening to. He's worth falling before. He's worth giving our lives to. He's worth pouring our resources out easily for. And yet He's the same God that wants to take us out for dinner every night. And so for me, I feel like something broke down in, 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 my, um, in, in the struggle that would be me walking in the tension of both of those things. Like, can I, can I propose this? We all know people who are really good at the all part of God. Like, and that's all they focus on. Ten, they, they tend to be uh, people who focus only on God's sovereignty and His transcendence and He rules and reigns with justice over the nations and what a mighty God we serve. Are all of those things true? Absolutely. But those folks unchecked uh, tend to become quite grumpy. 
I had the privilege as a young pastor of hanging out with some of the big name people in like the new reform movement that was going through the world. Like these, these people were incredible teachers. And if I ever wanted to feel stable in a crisis and know the keeping power of God and Him knowing the beginning from the end and Him choosing me before the foundation of the world and all those wonderful truths, I would hang with these guys and I'd be like, this is amazing. Our God is awesome. Yes! But like you'd worship with them. Or you would talk with them about other people and it was just like this angry sort of judgmental flow came out of everything that I was saying. And then I grew up as a kid at other times with people who are all about the Father heart of God and all about intimacy and all about the fact that we were welcome guests and God wanted to take us to dinner every night. He wanted us to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna say to my life? And they had this incredible sense of of friendship with God, but that left unchecked without any awe led to an over-familiarity where grace became a license to do whatever the heck we wanted, where we were so tight with Jesus uh, that no matter what happened, we were just always welcome back in. And whilst I affirm both of those truths together, as we grow into maturity, as we let our preferences die, I think the call that God's calling uh, Oceanside Church to is the great balance of fully affirming that our God is the ruler of all that is and our God is the God who wants to take us out to dinner. And so... um, I always think of this time when um, I was 15 years old and uh, I uh, was learning to play guitar. Some would argue I still am uh, learning to play guitar. And um, I, I had this friend in LA, his name was Kelly. And uh, we would go down to the beach and uh, lie on the back of his, his pe- pickup truck with guitars. And he was teaching me how to play guitar. And I remember vividly this one night um, at the age of 15, where in Southern California, you could see the stars. This was a miracle. You never usually see like more than 100 metres in front of you, right? But on this particular night, you could see the stars and I was playing this song and I was writing this song and I was singing this melody and at the exact same time as I was feeling like the whisper of God and His energy and His power and His presence, I could see a billion stars in the sky. And I thought, God, you are so big. God, I love you so much. God, you are so unbelievably massive. God, you're like right here in my body, living inside of me, I'm your temple and you're writing a song through me. And these experiences, as anecdotal and as silly as they might sound to you, or maybe as extreme as they might sound to you, have been part of the forming and the maturing that Christ has called me to. And I think He's calling all of us to, to say that we can grapple, that growing up in Christ and maturing helps us to not get one-eyed. It helps us to not get parochial. Growing up in Christ helps us to, to hold things that would seemingly be contradictory towards one another. It's like, you are the ruler of the earth and you want me. My confidence comes from the fact that you want me. My confidence comes from the fact that you are the ruler of the earth. Guys, when we have a genuine transformative experience with the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus told us we needed See, Jesus was the the human, the the God-man figure of proximity to disciples. And He says, that's not good enough. We go, oh, it would have been so good to walk in a garden with God like Adam. It wasn't good enough. 
Now we are the people of God who are filled with the Spirit of God. He dwells, He doesn't leave us. He speaks to us from the inside. He speaks to us from creation. He speaks to us from His Word. He speaks to us from tragedy. He speaks to us through relationships. It's like this ongoing two-way communication with God that we're invited to. And when we have a genuine transformative experience with the Holy Spirit, then Jesus doesn't just become uh, the figure that we appreciate from history and go, what a noble social justice God. Suddenly He becomes the living Christ in us uh, who helps us to see two things. When we have a transformative encounter, the Spirit of God helps us to feel awe towards God. People say to me, J.D., how, how do I know that I genuinely had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? I say to them, do you feel awe towards God? Not like preach stuff that you think is true. Do you feel awe towards God? People say to me, J.D., uh, how do I know that I've had a transformative experience with the Holy Spirit? I say, do you also at the exact same time feel like you're an invited guest to keep coming back? It's always both and. It's not either or. God is the holy other, always. He is the holy other, always. And He's the dad that says, I wanna whisper, I wanna whisper, I want you to hear me. Our church loves the... um, the depiction of John in Revelation where Jesus is holding the seven stars and he puts the seven stars down for a second while John is like pretending to be dead lying in front of him, scared of the guy who he once, you know, had such close communion with and Jesus says, be not afraid and he puts that very hand that's holding the seven stars, he just puts it on his shoulder. And he says, don't be afraid. Our church loves that idea. I've always loved that idea. I've always wanted to be the guy who remembers the seven stars in his hand and his hand is always on my shoulder, right? I guess uh, the part that's a little bit concerning today um, for me in the church that I lead, and maybe if you're honest, that's true of you as an individual here today, is that there's like a third group that doesn't feel awe and doesn't feel intimacy. And uh, you might hear what I'm saying today and you might go, that sounds really good. I affirm it propositionally because that's what we've done as Protestants forever. (laughs) Proclaim our truth. Hide, (laughs) proclaim our truth, fight, proclaim our truth, hide, right? But I want to propose to you today that um, maybe you're someone who doesn't feel either. Maybe um, we've created this idea of a God for ourselves where we set all the terms and the boundaries. (laughs) I know, I'm trying, Lord, I'm trying, I'm trying. Let's sing in tune. (laughs) We've created a God that we can control. In other words, there's no awe. And we've created a God that we can keep at bay. In other words, it's a superficial profession instead of a transformative relationship. And I might might even sound a bit harsh, but I just just feel like God is gently, because He's intimate (laughs) and very strongly, because He's everything that is powerful, is inviting you as a human today uh, to experience something that I'm gonna take you through at the end of this message, if that's all right. And um, we'll see what God does. But let's just be in expectation. I think David puts it best, to be honest. So often for me, I I turn to things that he wrote. Let's turn to Psalm 62, if we can. Uh, If I can have it up on the screen, please, bro. And... um, 
It says this, the Psalm of David, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. It doesn't say truly my soul finds rest in my control. Truly my soul finds rest in the government. Truly my soul finds rest in my budget. Truly my soul finds rest in my addiction. Truly my soul finds rest in my spouse. Truly my soul finds rest in my kids. But if we're honest, maybe one of those things or your thing, because you know you better than me, is the thing that you've tried to find your rest in, your ease in, your breath in. But I love David. I mean, this guy is like ruling nations. He's dodging spears. He's writing songs. He's facing betrayal constantly. And he's able to say, truly, my soul finds its rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He's my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. And like David always does, here comes the the twist. How do we go from verse one to verse two? I mean, let's be honest here. Oh God, you're amazing. I find my rest in you. I won't be shaken. You're my salvation. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence. Um, David shows us uh, right now that he's grappling the thing that we're called to live in. Like David lived in a real world and I would hazard to guess that he faced far more than you're facing right now, okay? And uh, we see right from the get out, he makes this profession and then he talks about how people betray him. How many of you have ever been betrayed in life? Just show of hands. How did it make you feel, right? How many of you have ever betrayed anyone in life? How did it make you feel? How did it make them feel? I mean, these are real things that we grapple with in life. He says, I find rest in God alone. Surely they intend to topple me from, lift, from lofty places. He says, they take delight in lies. David's not only dealing with betrayal, he's dealing with dishonesty. How many of you have ever been lied to? How many of you have ever been lied about? How did it make you feel? With their mouths they bless, and in their hearts they curse. David is dealing with dualistic friends. How many of you have any dualistic friends? Oh man, I gotta tell you, as a pastor, sometimes people hug you and you know what they said about you on Saturday because the person that they said felt condemnation and came to you and said, This person said this and I agree with it, I'm sorry. And that very person walks up to you like, JD, it's so great to see you today. And every part of you just goes, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, right? I mean, we face it. The world that we live in is not perfect. And David is not in some biblical illusion. He is living in real life. You can't sit here in 2019 and go, I wish I was King David, I'd have it all together. Ladies and gentlemen, he faced the same stuff that we face on the daily at work, at home, in society, wherever you're walking through. You're walking through betrayal, David had it. You're walking through dishonesty, David was dealing with it. You're walking through dualistic acquaintances, David had them all around him. What's the very next thing he says? Breathe in. 
Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He's my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I won't be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He's my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him. I mean, this isn't language of only being in awe. This is the marriage of awe and intimacy. He says, pour out the inside of who you are before God. That's why we have worship teams, right? For God is our refuge. Next, he goes back to his other thing and he says, surely the lowborn are but a breath. He's dealing with the brevity of life. That this existence is like a, and it's over in the grand scheme of eternity. He says, the highborn are but a lie. He's talking about the emptiness of prestige and wealth, social classes, right? He's like, man, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in comparison to something else. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion. Now he's dealing with bribery, right? Or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, North America, do not set your heart on them. Like riches are cool. I gotta be honest, when I open my Chase uh, app and it's like black and not red, It's a good feeling, right? Let's be real here. When there's no like minus in front of your monthly stuff, you go like, that feels better than when there is. Be human with me, please, all right? Like it's easy uh, to get hooked into the peace that comes from having some provision. David says, don't set your peace and your rest on those things. Don't set your heart on externalities. They help us to pretend we're in control. But think about where this planet lies in the solar system. Think about life and how long it lasts. We are not in control. And the sooner we surrender to become the multiplied seed that God's called us to, the more joyful our existence becomes. And then he says the coolest thing. Next one, please. Verse 11. One thing, and I close with this. One thing. God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they've done. Please take that down off the screen. And I just want to hone in on this thought. As David grows and matures, he starts to say something I think God wants Oceanside to know. Whenever you speak, Lord, your one thing, whatever it is, whether it's encouragement, rebuke, exhortation, whatever it is, whether it's a challenge or a whisper when we're struggling, whenever you speak from your one voice, I always hear two things. A beautiful baby crying on the one hand. No, I'm joking. When you speak one thing, I always hear two things. Or, you are God, are strong and able and here in the fight with me and above the fight, transcending the outcome. Whenever you speak one word to my life, I hear another thing simultaneously because I'm growing up to grapple that you, O Lord, are loving. And you want to take me out for dinner every single night. 
There is one thing God has spoken to Oceanside and there are two things I pray that you hear from this one message. God is loving and God is strong. We are called to intimacy. We are called to peace. At the age of 30, uh, something happened in my life that I'm not proud of at all. You've got your stuff. Maybe it was more minor, more major. Mine was probably more public. But um, one of the things that um, somebody taught me um, at the age of 30 to do was to break a habit that I always had when I prayed. See, whenever someone told me to close my eyes, I would bow my head. And people in this room, based on your church upbringing or your theology or whatever, might go, hey, that's a sign of respect. And I understand that. But the thing that I had lost in my pain was the fact that I was still an invited guest to his table. Just like Mephibosheth was called to David's table with all of his brokenness and issues, I was invited to come and feast. So someone was praying for me. I put my head down and I closed my eyes and they said, I didn't tell you to put your head down or close your eyes. Put your head up. You're a son. So to you today, feeling whatever you're feeling about what you've brought today, and truth is, if you're really honest with yourself, you've superimposed what you brought today all over what I've just said. Because that's what we tend to do. I just want you to put your head back and remember that God has spoken one thing to you today, but you're meant to hear two things. He's loving, so put your head up. And let's stand before Him because He's strong and He deserves our honour. So please coach your head back, keep your eyes open and stand to your feet, please. BJ, can you just set me up with a mic and a guitar with a stand or something, please? Is this okay, Mike? I should never ask that on a microphone, hey? I'm like, hey, Mike, is this okay? <laughs> Mike's gonna mop this up next week, I swear. Like, um, okay, so we've got 15 minutes till this uh, service is on. I, I just wanna be really honest with, with you about it. Okay, I say 15, he says 20. Let's see who wins, all right? He's the boss. <laughs> um, to me, uh, if this takes two minutes and we go home, awesome. But that something happens is more important than how it does to today. And I just want to um, engage people who have been to one million church meetings and say to you, please don't get stuck uh, in the paradigm of repetition that causes you to shrink back into a single seat. This gathering in this beautiful building today uh, is one small but very significant part of your whole week. I think this word is for Monday, maybe even more than Sunday. I think this word is for Tuesday. I think it's for Wednesday. I think it's for your uh, dining room table, not just the pulpit. I think it's for your workplace, not just your worship space. And uh, I pray um, that over the next 15 minutes, um, something, 14 minutes, something, uh, something significant happens. So will you bear with me for that long? I, anyone? Yeah. Three of you? We're good. <laughs> Rest of you. See ya. Cheers. All right.
Is this one on? Whoa. I'm just going to play with this attached, I think. Uh, has anyone got a capo? Because I'm not that good. I think the guitarist is a little skinnier than me. It's like a violin or something. Come on. Oops. Just hum amongst yourselves. There you go. Is this on? Yeah. Awesome. So, um, maybe keeping your heads up, close your eyes just for the sake of distraction, hey? Not to be religious. And um, I'm going to ask you to just be really honest with yourself for a second about your attention span in these types of moments. Just as an individual, not a church. This is not a heavy word. This is just a, like if we can't be honest with each other, what can happen, right? Um, I think we're all comfortable with 20 minutes of singing. Some of us are weird and like 40 minutes. I'm one of them. Um, Some of us can listen for 12 minutes to a sermon and then we start thinking about pancakes and donuts and uh, some people can listen for 40 minutes and, and take it all in. Um, I'm just going to ask for the next uh, couple of minutes, if you would just uh, consider being here with me fully, like body, soul, and spirit, like here, mind in this moment with me. And um, and this is real life, right? Real life has distraction and sound and movement. God wants our real life, right? So I'm going to ask you um, just right now to take one minute, literally 60 seconds. And this is just another way of doing prayer, right? It's just, we're just talking to God and we're thinking about Him. I'm going to ask you to take 60 seconds and just list things that you're grateful for remembering that every good gift comes from Him. Can you do that with me? You don't even have to do it out loud if you're not comfortable. That it happens is more important than how. Just take one minute from now and just start to say, God, you gave me this. You gave me that. All right, that was a minute. 
And I'm going to ask you to take one more minute and say, Lord, is there anything I've forgotten? And just thank him for the things that come to your heart and mind. to his gates with thanksgiving, right? To his courts with praise. Now I'm going to ask you uh, in a way that's real to just to just ask God to um, give you a picture or a word or a thought. And this might be easier if you close your eyes. God bless you with an imagination something that we tune out of as we become so-called more mature. (laughs) But it's a great gift to, to see things and to picture things and be reminded of things. And if we truly believe he talks back, then there's two things we should give him. Space in our hearts and minds and time. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you to take two minutes and whether this is something you've done a lot of or not, Surely theologically, we believe he's the great communicator and he loves his kids and a good dad doesn't hold out on his kids. He affirms and he speaks and he encourages and a really great dad makes his kids laugh every once in a while and feel joy. A lady came up to me on Thursday night and she said, I'm almost embarrassed to share this with you, but when you did this thing that we're doing right now, she said, I saw the weirdest picture and she started to describe it and it was literally about kernels and uh, seeds that are burnt and I'm like thank you for giving me my confirmation to preach on Sunday because I was nervous and I needed you she thought it was silly so let's take one minute longer and just say God give me a picture or a thought or a word or a face Let's go. One minute. Just speak back, Lord. Speak back. Speak to us. If you see anything, I'm not even asking it to be impressive. If you see a word or a picture, a thought or an illustration, just put your hand up high in the sky for me. Awesome. If you think you saw something but you think it's stupid, just put your hand high in the sky for me. (laughs) Awesome. All right, now let me pray for you. Take the picture that you've shown and speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. This imagination, make it your own. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. I've stood in awe of you. 
Cause I am all 
And I 